Hello and welcome back to another very incredibly special episode, unbelievably special episode of Boys Gone Wild. I have got uh, a guest who's probably been queued up in the playlist for a long time, uh, probably almost borderline insensitive how late it's been for him to actually come on considering who's got before him. But finally, the inevitable has happened, the crossover of the century. Fans are going crazy for this. They thought they wouldn't see it in their lifetime. This is... Fury versus Joshua, finally, the big two brains in comedy at the moment have met. It's Vittorio Angeloni and it's me, Horatio Gould. Welcome to the show, Vittorio. How are you doing? Thank you very much for having me. Uh, you didn't use our pre-prepared uh, metaphor of Zizek versus Peterson. I'd say this is definitely, and, and he's, he's brought uh, this uh, Russian communist and hat. And this, because he understands what it means to be a content cowboy. So he truly understands. Yeehaw! The, he understands the <laughs> aesthetics of content and how to uh, hack through the content jungle uh, of social media. Yeah. But would you be Peterson and I'd be Zizek? Well, I'm... In yeah, I guess because the hat would say capitalism. This would say communism, yes. for sure. Although the the Oakleys... That's that, but then Zizek, you know, he has his own... It, it's, it's trying to make it like cool he, communism. Doesn't he drink loads of Coke? Is that... I, th- I swear I read that about him. He drinks like cans and cans of maybe diet coke every day are you saying that's a, uh, a juxtaposition because he's uh, a, a anti-capitalist well the, he, and he's very open about that he's very openly yeah but then he, if he, his, his, his whole thing is that we're so in the system now we can't even imagine what would be out of the system and yeah it's like there's some people who throw that at lefties like wait so you i, I saw you at starbucks it's like we're yeah. not gonna fuck it. I'm not gonna make coffee out of my own shit like hippies, man. It is like I'm not. I'm never gonna go that far. There was one once when I lived in in North London, uh, a guy knocked on the door, and I was I was free. Um, get it for the foley. Get it. Get it for the foley. Lovely. Oh God, with the red seats. Mm. Holidays are coming. Holidays are coming. Um, yes, speaking of capitalism, um, yes. the. But yeah, somebody knocked on the door and I wasn't busy, so I answered it. And mm. uh, they said, "Oh, would you like a, a a copy of this week's like North London Communist newspaper?" That's what they and all are. Well, I said, "Is it free?" And they said, "No." And I went, "What? It's not communism." What are you doing? Surely that's like job one of a communist mm. newspaper is like get enough funding. Well, you were, you're, you're the funding. That's that's them trying to get the funding. Is by going door to door and asking people. Seems for, like a racket. Uh, to be honest, I think a lot of it is. Uh, it all seems like a racket at the moment. But I'd also like to bring up, uh, to kick things off, is that I guess we 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 know each other for like, like three years now. It's bit, it's hard to tell with. Uh, covid when did we first meet was that at funny feckers or did you see me you might have seen me before then i've seen you meet. at funny feckers and was like he's good yeah and then we spoke afterwards and you were running a gig and you were fairly new well that's how i used to book my uni yes, gig i yeah. would go to the <laughs> i would go to the equivalent of the nfl draft that is funny feckers on a thursday night mm-hmm. in camden yeah and see a bunch of open micers who barely had five minutes mm-hmm. and go come to my university and do 10 minutes. Yes. And I thought that was a good way to book a company. Well, it was for a while. That was a, you ran some great gigs. I had some great times. That was 
right back when we were f- really, really just starting out. But um, we've had some really bad gigs together as well. We've had some, well, you mean you've seen one of my what you know? Do you remember? So Fekers, I. It, Fekers is a like a nice bringer night. We had to bring someone, but the room's tiny, but it gets packed, well emceed, tight shit. It's like the easiest kill you ever do. So I did did it three times and probably crushed harder than I've like done at any gig. And then mm-hmm. you saw me at that one. Do you remember when I died so bad? I remember why you died. Why? It's because of my T-shirt. Yeah, it was your T-shirt because you had like it had like a comic book strip on it. Yeah. Or some shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I never wear. From the start, I never wear clothes that have writing on them mm-hmm. on stage, it particularly. People. Well, because people are like, "Who am I supposed to be getting my jokes from here? Your T-shirt <laughs> yeah. or your mouth?" Yeah. And then, but then to counteract that, I think you, I think you knew that. So I think to counteract that, you you give like a quick explainer of the T-shirt. And everyone, it was a, it was one of the wildest gigs I've done, <laughs> and I've never gone back because I went up. Well, I wasn't exist looking anymore. at my set because I was like, this is feckers. I, I was, even then I was thinking like, this is not good for me because it's just going to make you feel delusional that I'm doing. This is, basically, I, I thought I was, it was too easy for me. Yes. And then I managed to prove I did the worst I've ever seen anyone do at feckers. I've seen some <laughs> shite there. I've seen someone like a white guy talk about why we maybe should use the N-word and I did worse than him, you hey, know? I'm talking yeah, about yeah, my well, set. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you raised some good points, but um, no, that was, it was truly, it's because I had this uh, like Basquiat thing on a t-shirt and it wasn't even clearly Basquiat. It was just like loads of blobs. It was like, it wasn't even clear writing. And I came on and people were, could not believe what they, I could, the look of shock and horror. And I then I kept saying, so and I kept having to say like, these are punchlines. And I just, <laughs> and when I bomb, I can really like whip you, a room down with, take my room you, down with you me. Do, you do, you bomb better than a lot of comedians do. You bomb. Famously. You're, you're good at bombing. And I'm, I'm trying to get better. Cause I mean, I haven't done comedy in ages, but like, I want to, I want to not bail out into crowd work. Not be allowed. Not bail out into crowd work what just sit in your routine that's dying just keep doing yeah. material that no one wants to hear yeah believe in it yeah and just like because i think sometimes yeah, i've audience... seen some uh, pros do it in like a really bad gig they've come down uh, and people are not laughing and they do the material don't, don't get much laugh and they just power through and just relentlessly because i stuff think the audience eventually go oh this is what's happening whereas if you're jumping between bits and crowd work and different and it's just they don't the audience while individually they might be clever mm. groups aren't clever they need very clear instructions on what to do and how to respond yeah it's true and i think when you bomb um you certainly early on you had a tendency you can really turn on a, a audience member uh, you can really like zone in and like brutally attack someone <laughs> i've got a really clear one in my head i had one of the worst bombs ever at box park shortage oh wow and um, was it was it an urban crowd it, it, they were black yes um but not all of them this is the problem with box because normally at black gigs mm-hmm. which is what i call them mm-hmm. and I, I just think what's a nightmare with this sorry to interrupt is what it, there, there's an urban circuit uh that's called the urban circuit or the black circuit Sometimes you'll say black circuit and I'll be correct in saying it's the urban circuit. And sometimes I say urban circuit, so actually it's the black circuit. I'm just getting like 
collectively pick one and I'll choose it. Stop. Well, I think the the reason I say black circuit is because that's how it was born. It was born out of black and act, black acts and acts of color more generally, but more specifically black acts at the time. Mm. Um, weren't being given the platform on the mainstream circuit, which for all intents and purposes at the time was the straight white, the white, circuit. The white circuit. The white, I call it the white circuit still. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I call it the country circuit. You see, <laughs> <laughs> you see a black comedian in a show and go, oh, do, do you I didn't know you white? did these. <laughs> I didn't know you did white gigs. What the fuck are you doing here, man? So it was born out of the fact that they had to build their own circuit and put on their own gigs. So it's like, it is the black circuit to call it urban it's silly, but the oh, problem. Yeah, yeah, I call the, it the hip hop circuit. The, bra- so. <laughs> <laughs> the problem, I call it a word that I can't say on a podcast. Um, <laughs> but the problem with the Shoreditch one is the Shoreditch is a falsely, falsely tolerant area. Mm-hmm. So it's like. Yes, I understand what you mean. The room becomes very mixed, mm-hmm. black and white, but the white people are very for want of a better word like woke mm-hmm. but have zero black friends oh, yeah, so yeah, those yeah. white people who are insistent that like they are righteous they live in East London but mm. they are gentrification for sure they are that so when I get because up, if you I'm speak like, to most black people they're some of the least white people I know and the, the, the oh. type of stuff they like is like the opposite and it's apart and it's, from a couple of black acts who are on TV who basically yeah uh, have the same beliefs as their 15 white friends <laughs> apart from that you know then black people in general seem to have a fairly like free loose sense of humor yeah they're all like like the the the, the black acts that get on tv and are like welcomed in by the white cabal mm-hmm. of, of, of tv people it's like when the republican party welcomed as like when they found candace owens and they're like, oh ben my god Carson. one of them agrees yeah. with us <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true yeah but so this is the problem so i had these like white <laughs> dance students at the front and i get on stage and it is the worst being terribly received like jay handley who's fantastic Great and fantastic at that sh- at those shows he's hosting and he's throwing out some of his best material mm. and it's just di- so everyone's it's just dying at least dying dying yeah. dying I get on and grab the mic and do what you just said to the extreme. I grab it and go, you guys seem like the worst crowd ever. That's the first thing I say. Yeah, you t- take big risks with these ones though because you, you are very rude to them and they either love it or you just... I thought of- and then I did, a, I roasted a couple of them and said like, yeah. oh, I've never seen a group of girls who look more like their dream cars of Fiat mm-hmm. 500. And then... That's good, yeah. But there was a very like a group of guys in the forest. So you had these like super white dance students. And then over here, you had big black guys in like parkas and hats and like with chains kind of like sucking their teeth at me and like being real, like they were just like, who the fuck does this guy think he really? is? Oh, and shit. they were really like imposing and it's not because they're black, but they like, yeah, they like, and a- anytime any of the actors were like, Oh, what do you do for a living? They're like, and I'm okay. like, you're all dr- like, you're all drug dealers. Yes. Like you just are, and and that's grand. But like I can't say that okay. at this night. <laughs> and anytime, because normally at, at black shows, I talk about race a lot. And and anyway, at like mainstream, that's what they want though. Because that's that it's, it's so white, fun. It's... Because the power dynamic is so yeah. yeah. 
like almost flipped when when you're a white act and everyone in the room is black. It's like such a fun thing to play with. Yeah. But because you have these white girls who have n- never spoken to a black person outside of <laughs> buying blue WKDs at Tesco, like <laughs> when I, I, they were like, oh, I don't think it's your place to, to talk about that. Yeah. And because they're uncomfortable, the, the group mentality yeah, so, is, oh, now we're yeah. all uncomfortable. And then, and at one point, I re- they went, they got a joke really late, like five seconds after I said the punchline. They were like, oh, that's really funny. And I turned to them and went, oh, you're just stupid. I thought you were evil. Mm-hmm. And I really, really, really lost them. And then tanked. And then this refugee guy who came up and demanded a spot just before the show started from Jay, the MC. He was like, I want to do comedy. And uh, we were like, oh, have you done it before? And he was like, yes, I did. I did a five-minute spot at my uni where it was a charity uh, for people with mental health problems. I feel like I was competing in Special Olympics and I come last. Nice, nice joke. Killing it. (laughs) And then we were all just so like, all the acts were just like, what the fuck is going on? And there was like, the room hadn't filled up very well yet. So we were like, we were like, yeah, man, come back if we have a show on. We'll put yeah. it on for you. And he was like, yes, and I, and I did it at the, the Laugh Factory and also Chuckle Hut. <laughs> and and I, was, I was like, he's made this up. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No way. just made generic comedy names. He laughed and then I said, because I've worked with refugees a lot so I can spot them. Mm-hmm. And I was like. What is it? What gives it away? <laughs> desperation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. By definition almost. Um, and, but then he comes back back and the room has filled up everyone goes on and bombs. i thought i had them because i shot on them a bit mm-hmm. and then kept going i think the point where i lost them was i said the room looked like a dulux chart because all the black people are over here mm-hmm. and the white people over that's here good that's a great of, joke that's what I th- but the it's just the, the the dynamics weren't working for me but then this refugee guy comes on after me and fucking smashes really <laughs> but like really? the most hack stuff he, t- he says uh, that special olympics line okay yeah and but he was getting deported the day after. Oh wow! Yeah, back to Palestine, I think. Really? Yeah, it was. It was. That's a, a, it burn was, bright. <laughs> Who would have thought that like illegal immigrants getting I deported? Mean, they're spending their last day like fuck. I need to do five somewhere. He clearly, <laughs> he clearly, he'd only ever done that uni thing, whatever he did. But he'd obviously learned English from watching like Seinfeld. So did he have the? So cadence? all of his speech patterns and cadence yeah. were. What's the deal with Israel? (laughs) (laughs) What is the deal with Israel? And I'm glad that Vittorio's brought us on to the main thing on the show. What's the deal with Israel? We're going to finally find it out. No, but just one last thing on uh, black shows. Uh, Because I I love doing them because I'm so white. And my, especially when I wear shorts, where it's like almost like a shining, like a burning magnesium. I'm so white. It is like you look like a bur- you look literally like a burning cross. So at the it's front yeah, exactly, the- and that's like the dream position for me because I can that's me at my best. Where I I always work best with my persona being as low down mm-hmm. status wise as possible. Um, but I mean, it, it's just a completely different world. Like I went there uh, to one uh, black gig in Shoreditch, and um, they they we all arrived all on time, and then um, it was like half an hour late and before we were about to start. And then one of the guys says, all right, I'm going to do a DJ set um, to kick us off. And I thought it'd be like 10 minutes to warm people up. It went on for about an hour and 10 minutes. Yes. We were just waiting. Uh, and he literally... And it doesn't hype people. 
I think really having a really good DJ at a show is really beneficial and I think it works really well. If you're doing it in between acts, not if And it's... just pre-show <laughs> building up yeah, to the so. bringing the MC on. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it, it with, um, what I find interesting about us though is um, we are in many ways uh, kind of very similar. Like mm-hmm. we're both Horatio... Vittorio. People we're confuse us a lot. Confuse us a lot. Um, yeah, I've been called Vittorio a lot. Um, we're both, how old are you? 24, nearly I'm, 25. I'm 24. Um, both same age. We're both part Italian. Um, and we're both, we've both been going in London about the same time. Uh, we both had, uh, pod, you had a podcast called The Good Guy Podcast. I had a podcast called Boys Gone Wild, you know? Yeah. We're both similar sized fan bases and patrons. So weirdly, of anyone in my kind of friends and comedy, it always feels like we're always getting similar opportunities and at similar stages. Uh-huh. Um, but then we're also very different, which is extremely. Weird. So it's 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 an interesting thing where I think, I mean, just uh, yesterday I was listening to Anthony Jesselnik on Ron Funches's mm-hmm. podcast. Yeah. And that strikes me as like they're very different, yeah. but they found a lot in common. Okay, and that they had a lot in common in that podcast. Yeah, where in their own way they don't give a fuck. I think that's similar to us. We're like stylistically on stage, the type of stuff. But, but, like, but what's but the difference? That, like, no, what's that's, the that, difference? The connection between Ron Funches and and Justin Lip being as broad as we don't give a fuck. We've got materially very similar, practically on paper. We're you're the most similar comic to me career-wise. We're both at the same yeah. stage, both same age. We've both been going a similar amount of time. Um, we've both got similar-sized podcasts. We've both got similar-sized patrons. We're just doing all those things, mm. similar-sized social medias. And like so, uh, and we both have similar ambitions as well, which is something that I feel like... Uh, and value systems. Of what's good and what's shit. Because this is the thing where you, there are a lot of comedians around our level who look to more experienced acts who kill, who do really, really well, but are sh- like hacks. Sure. And go, oh, I want to, b- I wish I could do that. Like the way yeah. he referenced Lewisham in that way. Mm-hmm. Like the I the way he said Nigerian Jalof's better than Ghanaian Jalof. All that. And it's just like, <laughs> and I'm like, it's knowing that the, the, the goal isn't just smashing it because and the goal isn't populism. It's not to be... I think the the real similarity is we don't look out into the world or into the audience and go, what do you want? I'll try and make that. Yeah. We start from ourselves and go, mm. what do I want to make? But then what the, we have the similar values because we, we have a lot of conversations and a lot of... Very rarely disagree to opening up with when we talk about comedy. We all both have similar values but what we actually believe about comedy is actually quite different so like we both want to do what we think is good but what we think is good is slightly different do you know what i mean we, but we both have the value system that's the same so we don't want to do what the audience want us to do but what we feel we want to do is slightly different i think and that's why i think it's similar to that ron funches mm-hmm. jesselnick thing mm. where they both what they end up doing yeah is so different but it's also they're both going, I'm going to do me. Yeah, and I guess because I, I, I see you as, um, and me as being 
like there's it's still like of our generation of people our age who've been going our time there's still like not uh, that many comics who are doing the american model of where it's headed you know which is starting a patreon Mm. starting a podcast putting clips online doing that it's grown more in lockdown but we're both you were actually one of the first to start you did it before me of starting to try and get that moving yeah and um yeah i think uh i find it interesting because it's like you're one of my closest friends in comedy and i want you to do very well but i I view you as sort of like i don't know if we probably have a similar relationship where because we're that there's the least to different normally when you see if you see someone having success there's normally loads of reasons you can be like that doesn't apply to me because mm-hmm. they're trying to achieve something different they fill a different um type of thing for yeah. tv you know if, if a, or it's act- shit yeah or, or yeah or it's shit there's those different reasons where people get things that you 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 wouldn't mind having but you know that you're just doing different things but yeah. then i feel we're doing sort of similar things so every time you get something it makes me focus more on getting something and it's sort of like i need i i've discovered over the pandemic not the main thing i've discovered but one of the things i've discovered is i need to see you in person at least once a week Mm -hmm. otherwise whereas i I need to see you in person at least once a year so it's a clash (laughs) it's a clash (laughs) but otherwise and i'm aware it's not rational and it's not Mm. like real but it's like if i don't see you in person once a week and have the 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 conversations we do when we see each other i I like i hate you Mm -hmm. so if i and it happens with a few people so it's like i just see this social media open i think it's partly because of that thing where you're like oh fuck i should be doing that Mm -hmm. i should be doing but i mean there's there's 30 things that either one of us could be doing at any given time we have the talent to do it we have the capabilities to do it we don't have the fucking time or money to do it because we have to earn money in different ways. So we're both making choices out of the skill set that we have of what we want to focus on, whether mm. it's podcasts, whether it's sketches, whether it's clips, whether it's whatever it is. So I think when I just see that online thing, it like partly out of like jealousy of like, fuck's sake, I should have done that. Mm. Or, but also just, I think, I think you miss it's the epitome of that like social media thing of like I'm I miss talking to you about what's like hard mm. and what's annoying and what's like the the bigger goal is because we both have kind of personas on social media mm. and if I don't, don't say <laughs> it's, it's, a heightened, it's a heightened version of who we are we literally were okay it's a heightened version of who we are but it's but I think I've just noticed that I don't I don't know if I have much more to say I've noticed that if I don't see you in real life and have an actual conversation mm-hmm. and as soon and I knew it the whole time I was like in my head automatically like resenting you or like hating mm. you I knew that it wasn't real mm. because it was just whatever social and then as soon as we like went for a park for a walk in the park or like as soon as I saw you in real life and we played football or whatever I was like oh yeah it's fine yeah love yeah, great yeah. love the guy. But then, because uh, I, I see you also struggling, because you post as, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't particularly like social media and I do it for work, uh, a lot of it. Like, mm. I don't put any real personal stuff on there. Um, I'm addicted to it by nature of the work, you know. Yeah. 
not I don't I, I wonder if I would if I wasn't um, it's always an excuse it's always an excuse I would I'm delete like, it all if yeah. I wasn't a comedian oh dude I'd be an alpaca farmer in Peru mate <laughs> no fucking way it's such a lie it's, yeah, it's such, such a lie. lie dude I would just I thank god I've got an excuse to be on there as opposed to like looking like just like wanting likes for Accepting like pictures who you of are. me travelling or something yeah, yeah, yeah. like that's so much more because then you know we, we, we it distances ourselves from our own narcissism mm. what, 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 what that we can go Oh, if I have to be on here, yeah, I yeah, have yeah, to yeah, yeah. And not realizing that, yeah, it, it's actually we're the same as everyone else. Yeah, it's delusion, deluding yourself for the validation that you, yeah, you yeah. need. Um, but then, because I see, especially, I mean, it's gone in waves, and I think in general it feels like um, the kind of online comedy has sort of chilled out a bit now that live slowly starting to come back. Yeah. But there was the crazy uh, maelstrom of uh, online stuff when I was doing five of these a week. You were in. I had four podcasts a week. And you had four, four podcasts and a video every week. Exactly, and you would. Yeah, we were both just. That was when it was the craziest. And the, the roasts. And oh, that was when everyone we was, was like, insane. we were. And we did really was, well. Off every that. young comedian was in their mum's fucking basement or shed, either not doing anything or doing more shit than they've ever done before. And the, the people, who did nothing, who. And I don't malign them for doing nothing. It was just so mad, and I don't know if you found a similar. I think we spoke about this a little bit. We're like, just before lockdown, I was like, oh, maybe I should be reaching out to agents, yeah, and like looking for representation on on that sense of the industry. And then lockdown hit, and I went, oh well, no one's gonna sign anyone now. Then you're wrong. And then every every single person we know got signed. Everyone <laughs> we know got signed, and ones who I thought had quit comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, they haven't posted, they haven't created anything yeah. in months. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. the one, the, the there was a black square. Yeah. And then <laughs> yeah. And the one before months. that was the, the Paris, you know, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah, Paris yeah, attacks yeah. and there's like the France thing. And then there was a black square <laughs> and they'd used the wrong hashtag. And then the, the, I mean, that annoyed me because it was like, can you stop using this hashtag? People are using it to communicate. And it's like, if you're communicating your revolution through hashtags, yeah, complete change it. Oh, um, it was. It, that, <laughs> sorry, just to say, that whole day was fucking. That was. I did it. I did the black. I did it. I did it. Oh, dude, black in the square. fucking in the middle of I it, did a I black was, square with grey text. It's the wokest I've ever been. <laughs> grey text that said what? I did grey text that said, "Don't you dare let this be the only thing that you do." This <laughs> is the only thing you do. <laughs> No, I raised, no, I raised money. But to be fair, okay. yeah, you did actually, you did a lot. But to be fair, <laughs> and got some followers on the way as well. Um, of course. <laughs> you don't do anything for free. Um, but um, no, I, I, that was, because that was in the middle of like, and this is what I've, I've also learned this, this is like, in the in a moral panic, so it, it was a bit like in Me Too, but much worse during the George Floyd thing, where everyone was home and it was so concentrated at that time. I remember yeah, feeling so, yeah. constantly not knowing what I thought. And there was so many, uh, mainly white people, but even some black acts were saying like, uh, people not posting, I see you. And there was this aggression that was basically implying if you weren't posting every day about how racism is bad, you, you are Derek you, Chauvin. You are, you're Derek Chauvin. <laughs> and like in that thing, I don't blame anyone for doing anything that uh, looking back's a bit cringe. Cause in that moment we were all like, uh. emotionally social media has never been more just fucking like, 
confusing and emotionally traumatic than that those I couple. Can't, I can't but even. But white people, they've got a bad rap, but fuck me, that was... It was hilarious that whole day of just like the black square when all these white people were just like, yeah, there we go, here we go. And then the black people were like, oh, you've, you've ruined it. We're like, oh, so we'll delete them. And just like, literally, it was like a herding sheet. It was like, well, yeah, yeah, this is for you, for you. Oh, we, we, oh God, so no, no, sorry. It's, it was so it was funny. So it's, and like, it's only funny because looking back, I was so, so petrified of getting it wrong and not doing enough or like any of these things and just mm. like it was just so stressed it was really hard so to stressful. <laughs> it, it's tough man <laughs> even that's funny is it's like sometimes when you you say oh sometimes it's confusing to know what the right thing to do oh so you're saying that being a white person is the hardest thing that's ever yeah. existed <laughs> you've that really really good bit <laughs> which you have posted online where it's like um I'm not saying it's ha- hard to be a man, <laughs> yeah. but it's confused. It's confused. Yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. saying, I'm definitely not saying it's hard, <laughs> but it's confused. Like, it's so confusing, it's hard. <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that, I really, really like that bit. Um, your other ones. Not so much, uh, yeah. You've never <laughs> been a fan, and I respect that. <laughs> that was a that was a mad time, and and uh, and it actually, all that kind of scaredness and, and freaking out and, but didn't um, it blend into the practice? Because I think we both had like um, sorting out our anxieties to do with the whole. I mean, I wasn't too anxious with the pandemic compared to most. Obviously, I was, but you kind of have to use, view yourself relative to how everyone else dealt with it. Mm-hmm. Like, relatively, I was fine, but certainly the worry about being young and a comic and not getting gigs and feeling like there's so many things you want to do and you don't know when it's coming back meant that I produced ridiculously amount of podcasts just out yeah. of like yeah, yeah Sam. But then I, I remember there was periods where you were, I felt like bad for you because you were posting so much on social media and I could just tell that you were, your brain was getting fried because yeah. you were like in that state where you were not seeing anyone and in the middle of trying to produce stuff, which is like, if you put a podcast out every day, it's such a vulnerable thing because you're exposing yourself every, yeah. all the time and you're And you're you saying, can't have the... You can wear as many hats as you want. You can't keep up a mask for that exactly. long. Exactly. But then you put it out and not only are you saying, here's me, you're, saying, you're, you're waiting to see how much that, that people like that or share that or view that and you're yeah. beholden to um, something else. So I did feel for you... Uh, uh, I, th- I think I had a much harder time in the past year than I let myself think I did at the time. Mm. Um in terms of like when I was a kid, I had like really severe anxiety. Mm. I was like agoraphobic or agoraphobic. Open spaces? Yeah. So I've never understood that one. Well, it's not, so it's going outdoors. I mean, trying to- So it's not a field. I don't need a label for it. I took months off primary school because I was too scared to leave the house. But so it's not, it's not standing in the field. No, it's- I That's think why it's, I imagined. It's, it's someone it's, trying it's, to- It's more like the emotional concept of outside of your house. Mm-hmm. I, that's what I had. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right word. I was too scared to ask. Um, but <laughs> it's a great bit. Um, but so like months off school, punched my primary school principal, like ran out. And my whole thing was like scared of other people, scared of crowds of people and scared of being close to anyone, scared of going out leaving the house and I'd spent years from when I was like 10 years old 
unlearning all these irrational thoughts that were involved in that anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the government went, you were right. Yeah. And my brain was like, I fucking told you. Like outside scary, crowds are bad, being close to people's bad. And I really, like, I didn't. So did you, you relived a lot of the trauma you had. I relived it and I, I, I relearned a lot of those irrational thoughts where like I, from the first lockdown, I moved back in with my parents mm. and didn't, didn't, I left the house twice a week to walk the dog. Yeah. And refused to go to the shop. I was like, I'm just, I'll do extra household chores, whatever. But were you, it is, but but were you scared didn't. of getting it? No, it wasn't. But were you, was it, I don't was even it think it was that. Yeah. Because it, it's so irrational. It was part of that. I remember my thought was, I don't care about getting it. I don't want to give it to anyone. Because mm. uh, the, the thought of giving it to someone and them dying was like, cr- I was like, imagine that. That would be like the worst shit. Yeah, ever, but it, I think it was so irrational, and I think I just like I did that thing where I was just up in my little like I set up like a little studio in the attic, and I was like, bang, 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 just can't think, can't think, can't think, can't think, can't and it was like stop the voices. It was good, and I gained stuff from it, and I've like forged relationships with. with some you did a lot of stuff. I mean, you, you'd, um, if you would, uh, uh, Vittorio ran a gig in his garden it, when he went back to Ireland. That was That's, the be- that, that was so that was good. born out of anxiety. That was born out of. I went to. You could explain. Uh, so some people might not know. Back in Belfast, I um, well, I started from where I was born. Out of I, I was that that really anxious not leaving the house. And then one of the first times I left the house was my mate's yeah. sister was having like a fake graduation because they yeah. didn't get their graduation ceremony, and they invited me around. And I was like, "Oh, cool, I'll go. It's in their garden. It'd be alright." I went around and like was blacking out. Like my vision was like tunneling and I couldn't see anything because I was so anxious with the the number of people and seeing that number of people, and um, at that they had like a nice stage set up all in their garden. So partly like looking at that and going, oh this is this looks quite cool and feels quite cool, and partly going if I don't start seeing people and doing shit again, I feel like irreparable damage would have been done to my like mental kind of resilience. Okay. So, so you need to bring bring them to you. So I was like, I I need to do a gig in my garden. Yeah. And I said to my mom, I was like, look, can we build a stage? I think it would work really well. We'll have 30 people all spread out. And we did it. And there's like a mini dot. Like my mates were like, can we make a documentary about this? I was like, mm. fucking cool. Yeah. Filmed it all. Um, set up. We ended up doing seven of them. The first one, I can't remember at all. I have it on video. Because the anxiety. Yeah. I, I was pretty much blacked out for the whole gig and i hosted like, the I fucking hear, i hear because you, you tell me about this and it's like when you talk about having like anxiety and like uh growing up and all these th- uh, things it's, it's just it's so different to how you are and you're such a you don't you read as a, a what a normally anxious person would and you you, yeah. you managed to quell the signifiers so well. i think it's because it was so young yeah. so like i learned like i was in the hospital getting therapy like yeah once or twice a week when i was 10 yeah, well, this is what kind of the big differences, as I was trying to say, is though on paper we have a lot of similarities, we are super different uh, because we just have, we just are culturally quite different, I think. And mm. like how we've been, even though I don't think you're typically Northern Irish in many ways, but like I think culturally we have a different sense of humor and uh, yeah. also a way of being slightly different. Like you're way more sensitive 
um, emotional and sincere than I am. And I yeah. am just, as, as a way of being and how I know how to be, I just, <clears throat> I'm far more like, because stoicism is a huge part of and what's the way I've been brought up. And like, also, yeah. uh, I, I, I think I'm genuine, but I don't think I'm, sincere is, is different to genuine to me. And what's interesting to me is like, I, even though I, I appear very sincere and open, like a lot of the time on, even online or whatever, and kind of give, seem to give a lot of myself. Yeah, which is something that I find interesting because I couldn't do that. But to like, to me, that's like the tip of the iceberg because I've got all this potentially scared to go outside shit inside. So it's like, what seems like giving away a lot of like how sensitive I am. Like it's still in my head, it's like Bill Burr levels of not showing how any emotions and, and like just pushing everything down. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause I, I had some wondering about that. Cause I feel when I was growing up, I was, um, probably cause I, I, I loved my school. I loved my friends, but I hated school. So I mm. had an awful time. Yeah. Everything in my school was perfect. The people were perfect. Mm -hmm. The school was perfect. Facilities were perfect. I got everything I wanted and I hated every minute of it. So, <laughs> you know, I just because I just didn't like the that. concept of it. And I never even blamed the school. Uh, I always knew it wasn't the school. It was school in general. It just wasn't built for me. I can't focus for that long. I found that just tough. And I just was, I thought I was really like depressed and like sort of like, I would always kind of even play on it a bit as being like, oh, these people who are kind of enjoying it, I'm like introverted and like, uh, not introverted, but like I've I'm, I've got so much inner turmoil and it's because I'm creative and stuff. Yeah. And then um, after I had like a really bad break when I got over it, I, over the last couple of years, I've just started realizing that there's a bit of encouragement. This is not saying anything. Uh, no, I know. To, to, I know there's mean. encouragement culturally that's encouraging you to have um, mental health issues as a sort of form of death. And that pisses me off so much. And then I started realizing kind of slowly that I'm all right. And that, because there's this, there's this, this phrase, it's okay to, um, it's okay to not, what's it? Okay. It's okay not to be okay. It's actually. That's a Jesse J lyric as well. Yeah, it's not okay <laughs> to be okay is actually what's going on. Yeah, and people That's people what's the problem. It's not okay to be okay. And also, it's the, and like I had it for ages and I kind of got over it and now, weirdly even like viewing people of my age group I'm, I'm realizing actually i'm i've never even viewed myself this but i'm actually quite stable mentally mm. and i don't have a lot of these things that i always just define myself against the people as being deep down i have so but i realize i'm not like that and just a feeling culturally that it's not it's no longer okay i wish it was more okay to not be okay basically no you wish it was more okay to be okay yes it was more okay to be okay, sorry. And that, but that's the thing. It's like a lot of, and we've spoken about this m yeah. in the past. And and my girlfriend's very good. Like when we were starting out in comedy at Funny Faggers once, there was two yeah. comedians who I will tell you who they are later. I think I, I know I told you the other day, um, who were like arguing about who was on more medication for their mental mm -hmm. health and who had the worst dad. <laughs> and, it, and me and me and Izzy were just stood there, like look like watching this conversation happen like yeah in a group that we were kind of in but it just yeah. became about these two people and izzy like grabbed me after the show and went you need to get better than these people than these people so we don't have to come to these shows anymore because i can't yeah. i can't yeah. deal with that anymore yeah and that was honestly a lot of motivation yeah yeah and and right. I, I was like i need to be away from it's this true. culture of oh th this makes me interest like it's a currency you have to believe in yourself to know that like 
the reason I don't, and I'm open about it. Like if it comes up, I'm open about like my past issues with mental health and the severe anxiety and stuff. But like, I, I believe myself more than to think that's the most interesting thing about me. Yes, a hundred percent. You definitely don't. You very. You don't crux much on it. Um, but yeah, I can imagine just being really offensive to people who have had so many issues with it. Well, they, it fucks. It really, really fucks. As someone, and I know even I haven't had it as bad as a oh, lot of yeah. people. But because I had it so young, yeah, I feel like I've got like a black belt in like mental health problems. Mm. And you see people going, "You should do this for your mental health," and I'm like, "Yeah, no, you fucking shouldn't. Yeah, that's really bad. Like, don't mm. do that." Like, I've been dealing with this for such a fucking long time that it's kind of, like, it's, it's, it's hack. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, don't don't talk to me about your mental health. Like, I'm, just, I'm bored of talking about that now, and I don't need, I don't need that. Yeah, and I think something that I realize is that I, I don't know if you found this, but certainly in my kind of group of friends, certainly at uni, and I think that's probably at the height of the kind of uh, discussion about mental health and how important it is, uni and the funny of the school, they were sort of like, push among youngs men to like, talk to each other which is mm. great but there was like this weird feeling i found where we'd all go we'd get fucked up and like when you're fucked up you're um much more open and <laughs> would always yeah. be trying to like make sure that we any male friend we wanted to create a good bond with we're trying to like aggressively open like like if you want to open up about anything an imposed here, dmc and just like import and then like these endless DMCs that happened, it normally um, deep meaningful, normally drug fueled, admittedly, and apart past the b opening couple, where it's like, oh my god, this is amazing! I, I feel such a deep connection to this person. And then mm. you just kind of go around. I'm like, See, I, 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 this isn't good for me because I'm starting to now manufacture, <laughs> yeah, no, the yeah. deep meaningful stuff that to me I've realised, which I found is actually quite odd for people around my generation, is that I am weirdly like. To myself, it's like a kind of World War One um, British general to my own mental health, where it's just this kind of like not allowing um, kind of any sort of stepping out of line or stuff like that. And that's what works for me. I it's find like, that. So I'm either, and it's the same, I find a similar thing with like keeping the house tidy. Like any, when I live, it's different now I'm living with my girlfriend, but yeah. it's like, when I had my own room or whatever, yeah. it was either militantly clean yeah. or like the messiest shit ever. And it's like, as soon as I drop one t-shirt on the floor, it's as if all this shit falls from the sky. And it's like, I think that's a similar thing I find with my mental health. It's like, I either have to be like on it mm. and like eating healthy, staying active, like being in touch with it and like not acknowledging it. Cause I think that I do a lot is just like, before I even recognize that it's happening, it gets tucked away. Mm. It's not a conscious, I'm starting to feel stuff. So I'll push it down. It's, I don't even f feel it in the first instance. It's just like, it's gone. Um, and I think that's just what I like, learned how to do when I was like dead young. And that's not good. So like, you don't want to just be like, you don't want to delude yourself. Yeah, on you don't want to avoid it. You, you don't want to just be like, that's not, and you've got to take care of yourself for sure. But I guess I'm there's weirdly because there's a clear mental health crisis because suicide numbers are going up because everyone knows about these things now. Every political point of view that's trying to sell itself claims that what they're against is causing mental health. 
You know, yeah, Jordan yeah, Peterson yeah, yeah, says yeah. feminism or whatever is causing depression. You know, the left say capitalism is causing depression. Like everyone uses it as like what's happening. And I think it's musical comedians. I think it's musical comedians. <laughs> That's what I think. If we could at least start there, I think we'd see drastically. Defund musical D comedy. Exactly. I think I did that. Because if you look at the stats, it's strange because musical comedians aren't killing themselves, but people see music comedians are Fuck killing themselves. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's, uh, I, I, I really think it's fundamentally narcissism, culturally. Not like, is it, it is. like, yeah, I think, no, no, but I think that's where it's come from. Not yeah, like saying like a thing like, oh, you're, not, not narcissism in the sense of like, oh, you only talk about yourself, you're self-obsessed or like arrogant or stuff like that. But I mean, like a deep-seated culture and it that tells you genuinely how you feel it is might the actually most cause, important thing it might actually cause actual mental health problems like the want for it so much yeah it might cause an anxiety or a depression that like you're not like cool enough to have fucking bipolar or whatever you want to mm. have and it's like like people have these uh problems and conditions and then it, it's good to talk about it but you're right and that like there's there's a pressure to be like fucked up. And I think it comes from that thing of like the highest rates of suicide are within the most wealthy bracket of people. Yeah, it's luxury. Because it's like, well, like fuck it, look at, like look at us. Like it's fucking- and you're still feeling bad. Life's gr great. Yeah. Like it's great. And I have like a lovely house that yeah. we've just moved into. And like, there's a footwear in London yeah. and we've got all this shit and it's like, class but like humans like need struggle so we just make it up we just find something to be wrong or not like mm. whereas i think if you a lot of the time and it's so hard because i don't want to feel like i'm telling anyone what to do or give bad advice or whatever but it's like i find finding something you really care about and want to work hard at that's enough fucking struggle for me a lot of the time to try and write really good jokes and make really good shit is like that satiates the part of my brain that wants to be having a shit time or like a, or going through something so that feels and that being taken away for sure has been tough the lack of and i find being on stage very very mindful and very very yes like meditation then because it's the it's one of the only times i'm not anxious yeah you know I, I get that and i think something that I've, I've discussed with you as well is that i guess what i've recently been trying to focus on for my own mental health to try and keep myself relatively stable is trying as best i can to try and just eat meat just eat meat, <laughs> raw meat. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, go on. yeah I, I'm, I'm practicing a japanese accent in the mirror that to me <laughs> gets it out no one can hear it and I just do different racist accents. And to me, that's how, that's my self-care. like your affirmations. That's my self-care. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just trying to avoid like, not narcissism in the sense of like minor things or arrogance, because I think I'm, I'm an arrogant person. I'm self-assessed in some ways, but trying to avoid what I feel can be dangerous about stand-up, which I try and avoid and I try and stop in some of my friends is like, your whole job is to focus on you. And it's so much about how you're, you view the world. And that's what makes you good as having a unique thing and trying to, disassociate yourself from that and view yourself as nothing because nothing being viewed viewing myself as nothing is what helps me because mm -hmm. as soon as i'm not important 
then I can function. Well, that's good. That's meditation and just going, yeah. your thoughts don't define who, you, nothing defines who you are because there's nothing yeah. to define. Your thoughts is, you can't decide to have a thought. It doesn't, you can't do that. It's true, but it's also like just viewing people in this country and in the West in general, it's like, you're constantly told that now how you matters is the most important thing. Uh-huh. What if it, it doesn't matter that much how you feel? <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> what if it, I mean, obviously, you need you you can't exploit people or take advantage of them saying their feelings don't matter. But if we reframe it where it's like, you know, there's a lot of issues with like uh, in China and other, but coll- their collectivism I find quite interesting mm-hmm. where if, I bet they don't have the same mental health problems we do because I don't think they even view themselves them, themselves as being mattering. And I, I find that quite inspirational at times, you know. And that must've been quite difficult with everyone hashtagging that they do matter. Yeah. And it's just like the unassailable truth of like, I said, this is how I feel. Therefore, that is the case. Well, I think the it's best been summed up by one of the greatest philosophers of our time. When he said Chelsea f- Handler. No, no <laughs> when he said that facts don't care about your feelings. Yeah, Ben Shapiro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, <laughs> I think that's what we're trying to say. Just gonna get clipped up. <laughs> I can't say no one's feelings matter, and then we get Ben Shapiro quotes. But it it is a, like, and and the problem with all these fucking everything's way more complex than than people want want it to be or allow it to be. So mm-hmm. any of these things that we're saying, it's like obviously there's validity to your feelings, and a lot of the stuff I want to make, um, wants to tap into that, and of course it does. It's just yeah. like. Because I often say, like, with political stuff or even, like, they're like, oh, but that's not factually accurate. And I'm like, well, everyone seems to fucking think it. Yes. So something's, there's something true about it. Yes. There's truth, truth to, to the collective to, feeling, yeah. to, to facts. The, yeah. to the truth of something is different to the facts of the case. Um, And that does matter. So there's that balance. And you don't want to say, like, oh, you just don't fucking matter because then some fucking incel who watches this will jump into a hay baler or something but it's like a hay bale yeah yeah a hay baler so that's it doesn't sound aggressive i was trying to think of an interesting way to top is he is he killing himself yeah i mean that would be the most pathetic (laughs) if he's an insult he's already pretty pathetic but you'd feel like a piece of shit it's like trying to slit your wrist with a spoon like fucking (laughs) you respect it yeah because if you get found if i if i found my kid trying to kill himself and he jump to the hay bale I'll be like not into well, a, I'm going to drive you up hay. to a cliff because <laughs> 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 if you can't a, even fucking kill yourself son then into a hay baler oh okay. oh yes that's a, that's a, that's sorry a huge difference yes yeah, yeah, yeah. that's why it was a bad yes that's why it was a bad the joke. thing that crushes you and, yeah yeah it was a, a bad comical example of suicide <laughs> yeah. unfortunately but I'll no, try no, again no. we'll run it back you can edit it out yeah exactly and I'll go I don't want to say something and then one of your incel viewers <laughs> jumps in front of a hay baler. I said it again. <laughs> said it again. Uh, it's all right. A yeah. combine harvester. That, combine that'd harvester. Be good. That, that, that works. Um, but back on um, things that we kind of talk about a lot <clears throat> is that we're uh, both, we both have uh, big inspirations from American and British comedy. Mm-hmm. And I feel a lot of... I find comedians in general kind of fall into one of two camps you kind of had those british comedians who are obsessed with american comedy to the point where they just they it's almost like embarrassing just, just how much disgusting. that they yeah. know so much about it and it's like 
not at all even looking at the scene that's right in front of them. And then there's uh, people who view American comedy as just hearing the American accent, they believe it's trash and it's less than. Yeah. Um, but I definitely think we're both, what we talk about probably the most as saying what we think is we want to do in the future is trying to blend what we both think is bad. Because there's, there's things I think are great and shit from both mm -hmm. American and British scenes. And I literally on the daily will flip between looking at American comedian thinking, God, this is fucking great. You'd never see anything like this in Britain. Then seeing some American comedy and being like, this is fucking shit. It's so much more sophisticated in Britain. And just flip mm -hmm. between the both because it's just, they both do different things. Yeah. And I think something I find quite interesting as a difference between the two of us is, is you're very cognizant of what you're trying to achieve. Yes and where you slot into the structures that already exist. And it's like anything you talk to you about, you go, oh, well, that's because of this war and that manufacturer of this thing started in this country and this people. Yes. And, it's, and it's just, you... It always ends with Jeb Bush did 9-11. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's always well, the listen. conclusion. <laughs> it goes singularity. <laughs> <laughs> Big bang, Jeb Bush. Um, but I, I feel so much less aware yeah of all that stuff i feel so much more or so much less in control or like deliberate with the stuff i'm trying to make and i'll say like oh, i'm trying to do this i'm trying to do that but really it's just kind of whatever whatever comes into my head is what i write about yeah, because we had a big argument when we were not argument, but we had uh, many disagreements when we were starting out where I would always be like, I'm struggling to find what my thing is on stage or my persona, and you would always be, I'm trying to be uh, a funnier version of myself. So you'd always know who you were because you were just yourself on stage. Yeah. But your jokes, you're trying to make better. You're trying to make yourself. But then for me, I always knew I was trying to frame it slightly. And I still kind of am because that's how I kind of, and that's kind of a difference. And I think it's a more english way of doing stand-up definitely yeah, yeah. yeah which is more framing yourself as with a slight persona that's like from the alt scene in england more i guess yeah and i and i think there's the slippery slope to both so mine uh well like the 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 persona thing can become a gimmick when people do it wrong and it's kind of like a it's like they they their their jokes suffer because they know that the, the 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 persona will will get them through, and once people buy into the persona, then anything that persona says is funny. Mm. Um, whereas mine can be f frankly boring and hard to get behind because it's so varied. Because I'm trying to it's like represent every fucking aspect of who I am on stage. Yeah, but and I, I, this is uh, this is something with the American British thing, um, which is like. And even this conversation where we're talking quite technically about comedy, I, I kind of don't know how, how I feel about mm. comics doing this as I've, I've raised to you. It's because I don't, I just did an episode, a solo episode on Patrice O'Neill, A Boy's Gone Wild, like a classic one where I solo discuss. I don't know when I'll release it, either before this or after. But kind of what I was touching on is as much as I love American comedy, I do feel the kind of, the influence of the Joe Rogan sh podcast mm -hmm. and the, Co comedians speaking to other comedians about comedy and life as a comic on this sort of endless reel because mm -hmm. I listen to all these podcasts and I know a lot of people who do who don't even do stand up and I, I don't know 
I'm now wondering if that's becoming a bad thing for comedy for kind of two reasons. One, because it's kind of making comedy too insular and two, because I think it encourages a sort of narcissism in comedy, in my opinion, if do you know what I mean. Yeah, and a lack of... I've heard a couple of comedians talk about like, like mystique is almost... Mystique, and it's almost like the... I believe, you know, all these things about comedy being, you know, truth telling and all this stuff and yourself. Of course I believe all that stuff. I do it and I know it, but I don't want to talk about it. I don't want other people to know it. I want to be treated like a dirty jester in a basement. Mm. And if, and I want to be, have that disrespect and then I want to make people laugh and maybe make them think, but I want that to be through sneaked in as a Trojan horse by viewing me as low culture because comedy is low culture that's not a bad thing mm-hmm. but it is a low culture it's not opera we perform in abandoned laser tag places we, we perform in dirty basements what's mad to me is some, like as someone who's been involved in productions of opera yeah it's it's pantomime in German like it's not it's, <laughs> 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 it's behind your <laughs> this this thing that happens where uh, culture as it ages becomes by default high culture because Mm -hmm. it survived it's 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 wrong it's 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 completely false and it's like it's the same with shakespeare shakespeare was designed to be palatable to the peasants and the paupers in the standing section and the fucking aristocracy in, in the top terraces yeah, and it's that so thing what, people you... go oh it's not fucking Shakespeare and I'm like well it's more fucking sophisticated than a lot of Shakespeare is because Shakespeare's dick jokes and philosophical quandaries in the same fucking monologue and that's what's great about it and, and to be able to appeal and opera man it's fucking like the stories are wank it's honestly <laughs> yeah. it's pantomime so many yeah. of them it's it's utter pantomime but this is why I think it's like Shakespeare opera they are high culture and they have but merits why? of high culture. The high culture doesn't... I don't think high culture is a value judgment. I don't think it's saying better or worse. It's how you frame it. You're putting on a tuxedo, you're going to the opera. You expect something different from it than if you uh, just pay five quid to see comedy. doesn't mean that the truth that is g- coming to you through the art is more or less. But it should be viewed as what it is. And but it should even, stay that way. Even Shakespeare, first of all, in Shakespeare's day, like I said, peasants watching it, and now. But are you implying but that Shakespeare... Joe Rogan stand-up will be viewed like Shakespeare in a thousand years? I mean, it's happened to fucking George Carlin and his heaps of shit that he says into a microphone. I guess so, but has it? Ha- are we kind of encouraging that? That okay, that's a good point, which I'm interested in. Is that like okay, George Carlin, Richard Pryor, was the way you talk about the great have been heralded by people who don't even enjoy stand-up yeah and exactly now. and it's like they are being heralded and i think it's really important that they're some of my heroes i think they're incredible uh artists all of that shit but sam kennison yeah. you ever watched sam kennison no is it fucking yeah it's bizarre and it's like obviously at the time we're living in a different society yeah. and it comes within a different fucking uh framework and context so like obviously we're not gonna it's it's like watching Seinfeld now. It's like, yeah, it just God. feels different. And it's like listening to Mozart now, where at the time everyone was like, holy I know, Mozart's shit. got some bops. Yeah, but like... Mo- Mozart still slaps. But like, like, so, 
like just uh, Stravinsky's Rite of Spring when it was first performed in Paris. There were riots in the street afterwards. Well, because they liked it so much. They fucking hated it. They thought it was the most abrasive thing they've Imagine ever Imagine getting that pissed off. Didn't even have words in it. No. Imagine getting that Imagine- pissed off at bassoons. <laughs> like, it's fucking wild. Whereas now you listen and, and people go, and this is what's mad about all this classical okay, music. Okay, no, I, I see what you're saying. And to frame it for people who don't, I used to be a classical musician. That's what I studied. Yes. Um, People go and see Shostakovich Five, whose Fifth Symphony, which is about, well, his symphonies are always about, like giving a middle finger to the communist dictatorships that he existed within because they demanded that he write for them, but he wrote all his music in this weird sarcastic way where it's nice, but it's like there's like wrong notes in it, and it like it's just unsettling. Wait, sarcasm musically, yeah, not even lyrically. No music. You mean he's sar- sarcastic minor keys when there sarcastic, be a major. and there's like. <laughs> <laughs> There's a note that represents Stalin in the Fifth Symphony. It's just A. So like the whole way through the last movement, pretty much, it's just bam, ba 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 ba, and stuff's trying to rise up through it, but it's just this ba 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 ba, and it just pushes everything else down, and it's just fucking. It's but really, imagine, really interesting. But yeah, that is fascinating. But, but now people go and listen to that about thousands yeah. of people dying and the struggles of living in a dictatorship or and it doesn't any number of that. these things or fucking, there's a Berlioz piece uh, about an opium trip that he went on and people show up in nice outfits, network with their accountant or their fucking yeah. estate agent or whatever. Yeah. Not probably not estate agent. But like, and at the end go, and I remember one of my teachers in uni was like, people shouldn't clap after Shostakovich's symphonies. They should be ba- sitting back in a sequel and fucking hell that was horrific that's what I think about my stand up as well yeah you should be you shouldn't clap you should be fucking hell you should be deeply horrific. conflicted <laughs> <laughs> okay no I, I see your point which is like uh, things that were kind of seen as scummy and low culture at the time or have b- by the distance of time mm-hmm. I mean viewed but I, I just think um, still the push in American comedy and podcasts that's coming over more here that w- like you know I, I I'm not going to shit on Joe Rogan I do really like the podcast um, but the kind of endless way that he'll talk about how we're like the last bastion of free speech and mm. stuff like this and then you see his stuff yeah. and it's like dude like I was talking was like, to dolphins <laughs> <laughs> it's like dude like yeah so yeah high. like free speech and comedy is super important but like it's 2006 special you did you said i like you said he it. says the n-word in it is that is that why you like it um <laughs> it was bush era it was a different time he says that he talks about bush being president and he says there's probably a person in the back of the room when they were like we can't run this guy and the guy goes we can go dumber yeah. <laughs> and I'm like bro they did it <laughs> yeah they did um, but yeah I, I just find it it's kind of like do, do you get what I mean though that there's like no the I know you can't talk. I think it's bizarre to it's like can we just like let the truth and knowledge of certain standard routines does not all standard routines we need to accept that a lot of it isn't most of it isn't going to change the way you view things and that's fine mm-hmm. a lot of it's going to be silly a lot is going to be shit a lot of it's going to be shit and it's certainly an art form that follows st- formulas and structures more than quite a few other ones and can get very tedious yeah. but there's nuggets of really important things like any art form but I just wish that we could like I've, I'm always, it starts to it always give me anxiety how much um, comedians kind of big themselves up when it's like I wish you could knew what you were which is gutter scum and that's okay do you think <laughs> someone like 
Andrew Schultz or even Patrice, I don't know what you said on the episode, but, but like they push back against that, isn't they're not speaking these really profound truths, so but they're not trying to like define our existence yeah. or any of that shit. They're kind of trying to go, isn't it fucking mad the way everyone thinks this, but no one fucking says it? And it's but it's like not, and that's super important. And have, you need a pressure valve that can do it in express because you know, no one's going to the theater, you know, you're not gonna, the, most people are not gonna. Uh, to have like an interesting social critique, you're not going to go to a theatre and interpret the subtext of it because no one really goes to theatre anymore from a young generation, generally. Mm -hmm. The way that it's going to get to you now is going to be probably through something like stand-up, mm -hmm. you know, or podcasts. So yes, it is super important. Um, but I guess my comment on the Patrice O'Neill thing was that he's one of my favourites, one of the greatest of all time. I just found there was, there was a disconnect. Yeah. So I watched it with my girlfriend who is comedy adjacent so she's in the world, but she's not a stand-up. And had she seen and Patrice she, And I'm watching before. it through her thing. And yeah, and she thought a lot of it was really funny. Um, and he is like one of my favorites um, and certainly did comedy the right way. But it's just like, I wonder how he would feel about a documentary talking about like, he said things that no one else could say. Hey, uh, this, this bitch had a really smelly pussy. And like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the, he... Don't, he he didn't even he specifically said i want no merch of me yeah so that's why i, find, get, I, I wonder get any, how he would feel can't get any official patrice merchandise mm. um but i don't think it was made for him no it was it was, it was also to protect he he didn't uh, achieve what his talent deserved in his lifetime yeah. so having oh, the, the, he lives on mainly in the esteem of other comedians who are more successful that's yeah. his, his main legacy is but that there's comedians who are alive who that happens to and go oh he's a killer and yeah. then they exactly they don't even fill a comedy club on a weekend not that i fucking do but it's like there's comedians you hear joe rogan talk about and all these people go yeah fucking mm. and it's like well, where are where are they like what's happening it kind of shows you like the that difficult futility of like some people just make it yeah and some people are on the road, particularly in that American model, they're just on the road Wednesday through Sunday. I, I certainly, I certainly feel a jealousy of American comedians having a continent almost to perform to. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, um, and like, as much as there's a brilliant scene here with brilliant comedians and great clubs, the fact that like you're going to, you might go to fucking Torquay, you might go to Newcastle. But in general, that's sort of the length of where you're going to be performing to on these islands, you know. It's, I might go to Scotland. Scotland, <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. yeah I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't go north of the wall. I'd get a nosebleed. But like, in general, you've got that to deal with in this tiny island that's like half the size of California. And then you hear comedians talk about their lives in, and the road's such a different thing in America because the road here is getting the train up to fucking Bradford. The road's a fucking flight. It's a them. flight. Yeah, and it's, it's flight, but you're flying from, a, I was in a desert in Phoenix. I was in the fucking jungles of Florida. I was in the fucking snowy. Where I, I, I was in Alaska. Why do people live there? Yeah. What? Florida? Any of those middle bits? Yeah. I don't know. It seems really weird to me. Well, yeah, but you just but go. But we need those people. I, I, anytime I go to the Midlands in England, I go, what's, yeah. No, why, I have a, why are you guys here? I like, yeah, because I, I went to uni in the Midlands. Um, and like, uh, the, they've been dealt a tough hand because they're kind of stuck between North and Southern identity. And they don't, they're not allowed a clear identity in the same way Northerners mm -hmm. are. And their cities have been terribly designed. 
Um, but the people are some of the finest people in the in Britain. I everyone think. says that about wherever they're from. I'm not from there. Though. No, I know, but everyone says that about anywhere they have a connection to. It's true. They go the people, and I go, yeah, people are funny. The people are funny. Well, people no, are not funny. Not all people. And are funny. I'm from Belfast, and everyone's insisting that Belfast people are so funny. I'd say, I'd say, I'd say, it, because Liverpool and Manchester kind of get upheld as the funniest people. I think the funniest people in the UK are Belfast. Glaswegians do very well on Twitter. Glaswegians in Belfast. I think Northern Irish people I find funnier than Irish people in general because they've had more... Because it's like you have the likability of... Irish people in general are quite likeable. But then Republic of Irish people, they're so sweet and gentle and kind. Mm. And Northern Irish people are so traumatised. And, and this is this is why I think we don't do as well... rude and cruel that they're fucking hilarious. We don't do as well on Twitter... So Glasgow and Belfast, very similar cities. Yeah. It's very similar divides and kind yeah. of but they're they're less distracted by bombs. So they have more time to do fat tweets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, now I I've always found in general Northern Irish people, you know, they've had a lot of sh- they've been through a lot of shit and there's not a it's lot a of It's a dark sense of humour. To shock a Northern Irish yeah. person from yeah. the generation above me is an unbelievably difficult yeah. task. But how do you how, so you, how do you feel about cuz you take a lot from the Northern Irish comedy scene even though you're not really mm. much of a Northern Irish comic in a way. I I really struggle with my relationship to it. I, d- I don't know really how I fit in with it. But what would you say Northern Irish co- the comedy scene how would you describe it? There's the old guard. Okay. Who I don't know if you've ever seen the Blame Game, uh, which is like a Northern that the Irish. Troubles? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the Blame Game is like a Northern Irish. Have I got news for you? Almost okay. Yeah. Um, no, d- no. And what's what's if it's on telly and it's an island? I haven't seen it. Just it's on BBC. Is it? BBC Northern Ireland, but Thank it's you. on BBC. Yeah. Um, no, sir. But uh, <laughs> but what's really interesting about it? So the comedians on it are Colin Murphy, uh, Neil Delamere, who you might have seen or heard of um uh jake O'Kane used to be on it isn't on it anymore and what's interesting is the, the the production company that books it have a like a connection with off the curb who are like a big comedy agency yeah. in the uk probably one of the biggest um but so for that's th- also connected to the comedy club the empire which does tuesdays in belfast mm. and was like the comedy club for ages but because they're connected off the curb, rather than book up and coming Northern Irish comedians, they book, they fly over an act from London who's represented by off the curb. And then they have to go on Northern Irish, have I got news for you? Yeah. And they always fuck it. Because okay. they don't know anything. Yeah. It's hysteric. Like, they might as well be on Ukraine's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They're just like borders, guys. <laughs> And it's hilarious. But that has bred... So that old guard had like sketch shows and they had this topical comedy and they did very well. And they're very, very good comedians. But people like Jim Owen and stuff. He's completely... He's... Okay. Because he's so absurd and surreal. Okay. Like, whereas these guys are like topical. Mm-hmm. That's their thing. Yeah. But then there's a younger generation who are now like into their 30s, just early 30s now, who because they were ignored in favor of these off the curb acts coming over. Like the, f- the only time I got booked for the empire and it got canceled because of the pandemic was through talking to someone from off the curb. And I was like, that's insane to me mm. that I'm, this is where I'm from. 
and I, I've there's fantastic comedians over there who've never been booked for the Empire. So they set up their own nights. They set up their own like clubs almost. It's, there was like four a week, different guys running different nights and putting on their own shows and starting their own podcast and making their own sketches. And they've built these empires and now uh, four of them have sold out the Ulster Hall, which is 1,500 seats. And two of them have sold out, three of them have sold out the SSE, which is the arena mm. in Belfast. And the fucking empire still won't so it's like a, so, but it, it's like what's happening a bit in uh, like Liverpool. Uh, yeah, it's very very similar. In the north where you've yeah, got yeah. people like Paul Smith, Adam Rowe, who basically through the internet are now carving out a complete audience. Yeah, with huge Patreons. You know, I think a comedian like Paul Smith would can't walk through Liverpool without being recognised as soon as he goes. Three he's months. probably the he's in the top five most famous comedians in the UK. Probably not. Who? Ooh. Kevin Bridges, Mickey Flanagan, Ricky Gervais, Michael McIntyre, Ricky Gervais, even Stephen Merchant is more famous than Paul Smith. I don't think so. Definitely. Of people knowing him, Paul anyway, not even top close. ten, but he's never been on TV. No, I disagree because I think Paul Smith is so famous in such a small area like Liverpool. Have you seen the venues he sells out in other places? Yeah, I guess so. So yeah. three thousand seats in Belfast. Yeah, I, I, okay, maybe. I guess it's like. It's for someone who can't walk anywhere live without being noticed. I don't think he'd be noticed in the street in London. You know. No, London's a weird, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. But um, I think with the Northern Irish star, I really like the comics there, but it feels like in general, Irish com- uh, culturally are storytellers. And that's like a lot of what makes their kind of lyrical stand up. So uh-huh. interesting. And then Northern Irish people feel like Irish storytellers tell us, but they're in a rush. Or yeah, which is good. It's and almost what, like Irish people. There's a yeah. gentle, um, kind of like lyrical storytelling. And Northern Irish people, it's almost like there's a ticking time bomb. Sorry, that was. <laughs> there is, man. There's just a feeling these things of like, come from places. They're like cokey <laughs> Irish people, basically. Well, there's, and there's, what I love about it is it has that punchiness of yes. American stand-up and joke telling. Yeah, where it's rapid fire because it's such short attention spans and and it has to punch Mm. otherwise how are you going to fucking shock a northern irish crowd Mm. if it doesn't have a proper punchline to it but it has that more southern irish culture of like i don't want to feel like you're telling me a joke i don't want to see i don't want to see any of the component parts of a joke and i that's something i really believe about stand-up i don't want to see any of the cogs turning in the joke that you're making to me which is why i don't like seinfeld because you can see every bit of the joke you go this is the premise this is the setup this is the punchline tag 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 next premise do you know what i mean well is it if uh sorry to cut you off but on seinfeld um it, it is interesting because i felt the same way i saw him live and it just blew me away he just destroyed I and get then that. i watched the special of pretty much the same material on netflix mm-hmm. and it just meant nothing to well me. i think i've watched jerry seinfeld comedian fascinating insight uh into the life of being a comedian with jerry seinfeld as the main guy everything about it i loved apart from when jerry seinfeld did stand up where it doesn't really do much for me i saw seinfeld the show which i think is a great i really show. like seinfeld yeah stand up in it it's fucking doesn't do anything for me. But there's the thing, there's a very different experience being in the room and watching stuff on a screen. And we talk about that a lot. But then with Seinfeld, though it doesn't mean much to me, it might not mean much to me, he's still one of the greats because he's basically invented what mainstream comedy is. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it's like that's the, re- the, that's the reason why he's, about, uh, he's like yeah. the most vanilla Canadian um, in many ways, but that's because he invented what vanilla is. Yeah. And what doesn't go well for Seinfeld is that he's aged unbelievably well as person. He looks like 50, but the guy's nearly 70, I think. He's Man. like old as shit. I think yeah. that's the he's like as old as Larry David, but he doesn't he people forget that he's fucking ancient. Yeah. You know? And that kind of goes against him as well. And I like I like a lot of things about the way he talks about comedy. He doesn't let anyone um shit on what comedy is and what comedians do. He goes, No, no, like other people can't do Yes. what we do that's yeah, not yeah. but he doesn't do it in that way that we spoke about it's earlier true. where it's not he's, like comedians and cars Com- yeah, yeah comedians and cars he's just really like no not he, under- he understands comedy incredibly yeah well. and one of my favourite videos of all time is when Kesha tries to hug him yeah <laughs> and he goes no thank you <laughs> nope he, and this is something as and well. she's a millionaire so she goes you know what? I'm hot and rich y- yeah. you don't want to hug me and he's like nope and this is something that I've, <laughs> I, I've started thinking about is um, what I like about Seinfeld. He knows what his job is. Because I, I, I was also thinking about this, that um, it's important to me as a comedian to know what the job is. And what pisses me off is sometimes uh-huh. when I feel comedians don't know what their fucking, what their job is. Mm-hmm. Not to limit, you don't ever want to limit comedy and say comedians should do this, this, this isn't comedy, this is comedy. But I see a lot of some new comedians who I'm like, do understand what your role is. And I... Though I've, I've made fun of people saying comedy is all this sacred thing, I do have a strong belief in that you have a role mm-hmm. and you should fill it. So, you know, with when, when you see comedians on Instagram and over 50% of what they do is moral and not funny and <laughs> sincere and serious, I'm like, that's important, but know what your job is. You still have yeah, yeah. your role. And it's like those open micers know. who show up on gig one. And try to deconstruct stand-up comedy because they've watched Lee. Lee. Yeah. Uh, a, well, yeah, I was one of them, so like. <laughs> but it's that thing where you're just like, you need to understand that this is, this is difficult in its own right, and it's it's a it, it's valuable in its own right. You don't have to. I think it's just living and breathing the role. You know, someone like Tim Dillon. Um, yeah, I'm that. like, he understands what his role is. His role yeah. isn't always to be right. His role is to be a comedian and be funny. And his role is to have the comedian's view on something. His role isn't to be like, uh, off. St- he lives it on and off stage so that when he's interviewed, when you meet him, he lives that comedy life where it's not like this kind of performance, like an actor playing a stand-up comedian mm-hmm. or a journalist who... So some of the, some comedians are now basically journalists with some funny lines almost. You know, yeah, I'm most like, of yeah. yeah. Um, but... Tim Dillon's favorite gig ever was at the stand in Glasgow, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, which is I find so interesting. Yeah, I can imagine. Oh, so that's something we did. Yeah, that's when when I did the stand in Glasgow. Just the best room ever. I was I was I was meant to do the Red Raw tour, and it got cancelled. That was gonna be. That's a shame. You've done really well. I'd love to do all those rooms, um, but it, to sort of round things off. Um, what do you think over the last because kind of, even talking earlier in the show about um, that those kind of early days of lockdown the kind of uh, our mum's attic and shed mm-hmm. days it's weird knowing that they're in the same, this same period of time because they feel so long ago yeah um, what do you think over this going to be a year and a half that you've kind of learned about y- y- um, yourself that you wouldn't have known otherwise or like t- what your take to leaving lockdown i i think my approach to writing comedy changed a lot how so uh so before i was like what's the funniest thing i can say 
Uh-huh. And no, it's like, what did I, what do I think, and why is that funny? Yeah. So it's that it's it's a subtle change. Yes. Um. And 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 if you do it wrong, it becomes that fucking just. Yeah. I believe the blah blah blah, yeah, yeah. and also tits. And it's yeah, just yeah, like yeah, 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 awful. But it's like that's where I wanted to come from, and I because and I, I, the thing I like about stand up is being as on the your head, your neck is on the line, to as the, as much as possible. I want to be as exposed and as vulnerable as possible. Where it's like you either laugh or you don't. I don't want to cheaply make you clap. I don't want to cheaply make you laugh. I want to put everything on the line of who I am, what I believe, what I've gone through, shit that I've done that's wrong, shit that's been done to me that I hate and, mm. and I'm really embarrassed about. Whatever it is, I want it to be on the line because and uh, a battle rapper who I really like, <laughs> um, the only battle rapper who I really like, I'm not really engaged in battle rap, but this guy Shuffle T, who also... Um, I think has done some stand-up. He says that when you're doing battle rap, the setup is like a wager with the audience. Mm. So, th- and then the punchline, which has to, so however complex the rhyme scheme is or the kind of thought of the setup is, then the punchline has to be more complex to pay off the really difficult surprise. rhyme scheme of the, of the setup. And it's the same with jokes, where when I go... It, to the audience kind of implicitly go let's talk about race yeah that's quite a big wager for me to make to an audience yes or if i go let's talk about the me too movement or let's talk about this or let's talk, talk about my relationship troubles that i've had or let's talk about whatever it is it's a big wager and it has to it, you have to pay it off with it being it has to be as funny as it is stressful to talk about and i want as much of I want to make the wager as big as possible for me personally, not for the room, not for like, I'm talking about these. I want my thoughts and beliefs to be on the line. And I think that'll make me write better jokes. I, I that's interesting. Cause I, I, I basically had, um, uh, almost the opposite where I was sort of at in very much in that mindset going into lockdown. My stuff was quite openly, uh, provocative and aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, where like purposely I'll try and do a 10 minute set where I'm like, I want to cover um, homophobia, sexism, racism, and cover all of the big isms mm-hmm. and try and touch them all. And then like the fact that you can avoid those laser beams and stuff, that shows that you're a good comic. And like, I certainly felt that for a while and being like, but then I, I think sometimes it's like, that becomes limiting because then it's f- making comedy is like, who can do the most acrobatics to talk about? But it's less about it's less about that. So that so what I mean is like I was always sorry I was always talking about those kind of topics beforehand yeah. before the lockdown. But in this, I've gone well. The those are high stakes in a way, but the real high stakes is talk about stuff that puts me on the line. It's not yeah. like oh this will be uncomfortable if he gets this wrong. It's like oh this will be him, but like. I'll hate yeah. him or this will be so embarrassing for him. So you can do that with him. many different things. Yeah, so it can be yeah. about racism or it can be about my relationship with my girlfriend. Sure. And I'll go, this is why I'm a dick. And this is the difference in comedians that I noticed in the past couple of years where I watched Bill Burr's Paper Tiger and I watched Hannah Gadsby's Nanette within like two months mm. of each other. And I went, um, I realized that 
Hannah Gadsby is on stage telling you what everyone else did and why that was wrong and why mm. everyone else was wrong. And Bill Burr gets on stage and goes, this is why I'm wrong. Mm. This is what's wrong with me. Yeah. And that's a much more entertaining wager to me. Yeah, entertaining for sure. Yeah. yeah. And more interesting to, I mean, to see yeah. someone go, this is why I'm fucked up. This is what's wrong with me. This is how I'm a bad person. For, yeah, I, I've never understood any sort of... Mo- I don't understand why, you know... If you're a politician, you can moralize to a certain extent, or do any, or or, or a journalist, or a columnist, or a work for a charity. But I've never the idea of being a comedian and moralizing uh, surprises me. But I guess what I had a change in realization. I completely agree with all of that. It's that I was always trying to do that as like to try and make sure that um, I kind of stood out mm-hmm. as being like I can say these things. And a lot of my heroes were doing that regularly, and I guess now I'm trying to add different strings to my bow i've watched a lot of nate bargatze over mm-hmm. um who's this great american comedian he's got some of the best specials on netflix where he talks about nothing beautifully yeah where and i'm like i don't want to do that but i love that where he's he says i'm an idiot uh, i know nothing i'm going to talk about a tiny specific observation about a very minuscule observation about my life yeah. and it's going to have no real wider thing and seeing that as this relief and I think now that we're out of the Trump era and we, I think there's going to be more desire from comedians to like kind of glorify the smaller things and the kind of sit in the silliness of little observations. Yeah. So I still want to talk about these bigger things and I still think they're interesting, but I don't want to be someone who like, you know, takes pride in the fact like, this half the room love me. This half the room hates me, and that's just because I, I. That's just because what I do. I don't mind doing that sometimes, but I would like. You know, I'm talking about this as if I'm anywhere near a top comedian. I still don't even have a full twenty. But as a goal of wanting to eventually be really good, um, I do now. I'm very fascinated in. Can I make really interesting, tiny observations with a few words with no mess around them and even patrice o'neill though you talk about race and sex and what i loved about him Stuart lee's one of my favorite acts ever patrice o'neill is one of my favorite acts ever Stuart lee technically is the greatest stand of all time in my opinion like the form he uses and the complexity of the writing is unbelievably sophisticated and that's why it's such a joy because it's meta it flips around it's just so complex where patrice o'neill who i view on the same level will say an observation about race and will just say it with a couple of words and it won't be complex writing at all. It'll yeah. just be this simple thing. It's not this crazy, like... But it cuts, uh, it's, it's, like not, it's, it's not a crazy fucking punchline. It's not like, oh my God, you know. It's just a thought that is simply said that no one's had. Yeah. And it, I think Nate Bargatze weirdly does that, but not about anything that yeah, matters. But, no. Do you know what I mean? But, but, That's but, but it I does find matter because it's... it's, it's the, but it's, it's, it does it's, matter. It's, it's but, the joy. I mean, yeah. but I know what you mean. It's not, it doesn't have fucking stakes for society, but it's like the joy in everyday life. And someone I think that does that really well closer to home is like Sean Walsh. Yes, where it's 100%. Like, yeah. He's like, you know when you're hoovering. Yeah, and he's a, a, amazing at that. And Phenomenal. And watching that, when you've watched so many of your friends and people who are getting TV work go up and say, isn't racism bad? We all agree racism is bad. Well done. And then you have someone saying, like, my fucking Hoover. You know, you've got someone talking about, like, fucking systemic racism. Well, this and then is you have the, someone come and go, this is my the fucking thing. Hoover. And you're like, thank God someone's talking about their Hoover. This is the thing about trying to be a fucking good person is I can barely remember to put a wash on. Yeah. At the right, like... Who the fuck am I? Like, I I had a joke about it where I was like, 
people kept telling me like read all these articles and like learn all this shit mm. and unlearn all this shit and and be like and I was just so so primed to engage with that you have to engage with everything on social media and with black lives matter and black civil rights and black activism it's like the joke is I got halfway through a recipe for black forest gato before I realized it had nothing to do with racism <laughs> yeah. so I don't think I'm the fucking guy yeah. to be on top of this but there's a truth to that where I'm like I don't hoover my house enough and I don't like I'm not on top of my daily admin of doing mm. my laundry like I know I have a responsibility to be a good citizen for yeah. the community. Because you don't who doesn't mean you can say the N-word. Like, <laughs> no, I know. And yeah, there's yeah. this balance, but it's like <laughs> that Sean Walsh getting so angry about hoovering and Ubers and, and Nate Bargatze talking about being an idiot. It's like, it's a relief to go. It's nice because all that other stuff about like being an activist and being progressive, it takes normal life for granted. It's like, of course you're on top of that. Now let's solve racism. And yeah. it's like, I I want to get involved and solve these societal problems, but also can we admit that like everyday life is also a fucking tiresome and difficult. Yeah, but then, and then something I've noticed is just like a, on this it's quite interesting is that really like moralizing woke progressive TV comedians will throw a bone to self-deprecation so they'll be like oh i do no exercise oh i do uh, or like do like some like the the weakest sort they'll of like a haircut. The, or they'll be like oh god yeah some people say i look like this person or like god i like if, if there's donuts in the room i'm like oh, i can't stop eating them anyway this is how i'm better than you in every other single way <laughs> you know what i mean they'll do something like oh i'm so bloody yeah. oh i'm always late i always forget things i'm always spinning i'm so clumsy anyway you're racist and i'm yeah. not yeah it's like <laughs> Um, that's all we got time for um, today uh, but we will be doing an extra episode on Patreon uh, so please do subscribe to my Patreon and also Vittorio you've got a Patreon going on at the yeah I, I, I wouldn't be as arrogant as to say that any of your viewers or listeners are going to come straight over to my Patreon um, yes that would be bold firstly listen to the <laughs> other stuff <laughs> Don't go, oh, I like this guy. I'm going to start giving him money like a yeah. pay pig. So come over. Um, <laughs> I, it was nice that you waited for the podcast that you appeared on of mine to die. Yes. Um, before <laughs> yeah. you had me on here. Um, so I, now I only have really one thing yeah. to plug, which is the No Blacks, No Dogs, No Irish podcast. Very good podcast and, with. And Mo Omar. Um, also, you're doing some videos for Steakster. So, yeah, I mean, I mean they, don't, they, don't, they don't pay me enough for you to say their name yes, on this book. Exactly. <laughs> to be honest, yeah. That's um, free, no, that's free called, labor. <laughs> so if you're on YouTube now, just type in patch notes. Yeah. Um, and it'll be on the 19th page of yes. YouTube. <laughs> but you might see me in a pre-roll ad sure. because we just recorded them. Um, But just get me on. Inst can, I, can I do my... Oh, fuck, where are my keys? I have a QR code that I could hold up to the camera and it... I'd say really it's probably better if engagement. I just link all your stuff in the description, wouldn't you say? No. No? No, I held up my QR code on a podcast recently and it paid and everyone was messaging me going, it worked. You held up a QR code that they could scan on the laptop? I did it on half a word. Really? Yeah. Okay, sure. Go for okay. it. Okay. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> <laughs>